that's really difficult because it's kind of like a horse that's not properly broken in. If you do want to enable that, it's not just a question of having no structure and letting people do what they want. It's about harnessing this kind of wild force, right? Creating a culture where you can set a direction, you can set a vision, you can give people the context they need. You can hold people accountable and yet you embrace uncertainty, you allow collaboration, you allow ideas to come from anywhere. And that is a really tricky balance. It requires a lot of trust. You're listening to The Startup Podcast, a show focused on helping you build, run, and invest in Silicon Valley-style startups. Whether you're an investor, founder, or operator in a startup, you'll gain insights on the principles that power high-growth disruption the way Facebook, Google, and Uber do it. The conversation starts now. I'm Yaniv. I'm Jan. And today we have a special bonus episode. I actually went as a guest on Jan's podcast, which is called Growth Ripples, and we had such a great conversation. I thought I'd actually present that podcast episode here on the Startup Podcast as well as a special bonus. And we were talking about culture and going quite deep into why it's really important to invest in culture at an early stage as a startup. So hope you enjoy. Here's the episode. It's great to have a chat with you today. I mean, one of the reasons I was so keen to chat with you was I was at that Google event that we were both at just the other day, and you talked a lot about the importance of culture, particularly from that startup perspective. So I'd just love to start the conversation to understand a little bit more about what do you see as the key enablers to great culture in the startup space? Yeah, thanks, Jan. So that was a bit of a spicy talk that I gave at the Google event, and it comes from a place of frustration in a sense, which is that I see the importance of culture, especially at that scale-up stage. And everyone notices at scale-ups, this is when the CEO comes in and starts to bring in the culture consultants and starts to take it seriously, but it's often too late, or at least it's far later than is optimal. Just when things are really taking off and there's a lot of growth in the company, suddenly you realize your hiring processes, your performance management processes, your values alignment, all of that is not working well. And so you're desperately trying to catch up and that's really difficult. So what I see as important and what I'm trying to do in my own startup as a co-founder is invest in culture from early on because culture has one of these amazing properties, which is that it's self-propagating and it grows with your organization. Every organization has a culture, whether you design it or not, but if you don't put the thought in, you're probably not going to have a very good culture. So to me, what's really important is putting design and intention into your mm. culture and deciding what is important to you in your organization's culture and then thinking about what some of the things are that you can do to actually start to embed that culture in your company. I mean, I love the way that you kind of described it in terms of having some deliberate or conscious approach to culture. When you talk about designing it, sometimes that might seem a bit nebulous to some people. I'm keen to understand from your perspective and what's the thought process you go through when you go to design the culture of your startup? Yeah. So I think as with most planning, what's important to consider is to start with the outcomes and in a sense, work backwards. So you need to ask yourself, what is the type of culture that I would like to have? Do I want a culture where people are at their desks reliably from nine to five? They do what they're told. That's legitimate in some industries. Do I want one where people are very autonomous? Do we want them to work in teams? Do we want them to work as individuals? Do we want them to be competitive with each other or do we want them to collaborate? There are all of these different aspects of how a company operates that are your choices, right? Do you want to have clear policies or do you want to set context for people such that you don't need those policies? Obviously, I've got my own preferences and I think everyone will have their preferences. And then you need to ask yourself, 
what is it that I need to put in place in order for that to be the case, right? Do I need to have clearly written policies? How do we set the incentives in place? What are our methods and tools for accountability and for planning that will result in the types of behavior from people that we are looking for? And I think that's really important because especially as your company grows, why do these things start to go wrong at the scale-up stage? Because you as a founder are no longer in every meeting. You're no longer always in the room. And so in a sense, culture is a little bit what happens when you're not in the room, right? How do people behave? What do they prioritize? How do they align? How do they decide what's important? Well, your culture is going to have a really important impact on that. And so in a way, as a founder or as a leader, the way to be a force multiplier and to kind of be more than one of yourself to escape your body is to create that culture that you want. Mm, okay. Yeah, great. I mean, certainly speaking the same language and I guess I'm keen to understand, you know, like where did this come from for you? Because it's quite refreshing. Like when I speak to a lot of startup, either investors or people that are actually running their own startup. I find they're really focused on got to get revenue going, got to get investment in as quickly as possible. Was there some particular experiences that led you to really focus on culture more than maybe others in this space? Yeah, absolutely. So very briefly, my work history is the first 10 years or so of my career roughly was spent at Google in the engineering team. Mm -hmm. Google famously has a very strong engineering culture, but I didn't really know what that meant until I left because I took so many things for granted. And that's one of the things about culture. When you're immersed in it, you don't actually realize its power until you leave. And then all of those assumptions suddenly fail. It's the same as if you travel to a foreign country and all those things that you thought were just normal and obvious are no longer normal and obvious. And so I worked at a couple of scale-ups and I saw for the first time, really, the power of Google's culture and how much less effective things were on my engineering teams when the culture was weaker. For example, you know, I spent a couple of years at Airtasker as a VP engineering there, turning the engineering culture around and certainly not something I did on my own. But when I look back on my role as the VP of engineering, yes, I had to make technical decisions. Yes, we needed to change our architecture and our processes and so on. But the most most impactful thing that I did there was change the engineering culture, how we thought about engineering, what we valued as engineers. Uh, mm. And so two years later, it's a big investment, especially when you don't start at the beginning. We mm. had a pretty good culture there. But I saw how much momentum we'd lost, I suppose, by having to make these adjustments to the culture when what we should have been doing is going full steam ahead. And then mm. as I started advising and investing and coaching people at other tech companies and especially scale-ups, I saw the same pattern over and over again, right? Which is these companies that should be fully focused on how do you take advantage of the opportunity that through your own hard work, you have created for yourself, the growth, the product market fit, the demand, the capital that you've raised and turn that into true greatness. And I saw so many companies failing to achieve their full potential because they didn't have a strong enough culture. And I was mm. like, damn. I was thinking maybe my new career after my time at Airtasker is as an advisor. And ultimately, I, I didn't find it rewarding enough because what I saw was the people I was coaching and advising, the amount of work that would need to happen in order for things to change was very large. So it was already suboptimal and it had to come from the absolute top, from the founders, from the CEO. It seemed thoroughly suboptimal. And I realized that to create the culture that I really believe the type of culture that would really take a company to greatness, I was going to need to be there from the beginning. Mm. You know, I noticed in your introduction, you called me a serial entrepreneur. I'm not actually a serial entrepreneur. I've been an employee most of my life. I feel that in a sense, this is me putting my money where my mouth is and being forced into it for the sake mm -hmm. of creating the workplace culture. That will bring me joy. But just as importantly, I believe if everything else goes our way, 
can become a $10 billion, $50 billion company. And not for the sake of it, but because I'm using valuation here as a proxy for the excellence of execution and the impact we can have in the world. I mean, just on that, I was reflecting as you were talking about at the Google presentation the other day, you were talking about there's so many great startups and there's so many potential startups that could kind of really scale up. But in Australia, there's only really been, at least so far, two amazing sort of startups. And you mm. talked about, for those that didn't come to the Google event, specifically Atlassian, and you're talking about Canva. And from memory, you were talking about the real difference from your perspective that both of those companies focused on early was the culture and getting that right. So are there any particular warning signs that you think leaders of either startups or just any company in general, particularly in the tech space, given your experience, they should look out for or be cognizant of as they look at their culture as leaders? So interestingly, I think one thing that's really important to understand, and I'm talking about tech startups in the broad sense, meaning mm -hmm. startups that make use of software extensively in creating a scalable business, is to actually understand how software works. And that doesn't sound like a cultural element, but if you don't understand how good software products are built, then that will flow into every aspect of the culture. It will flow into how you plan, how you keep people accountable, how you structure your organization. And I often see non-technical founders coming in and not understanding what a product manager does, what software engineers do. They get frustrated because they're not getting the results that they want. And then the mm. culture actually deteriorates because you're not creating an environment in which a software product-driven organization can thrive. So I think mm. there's a really important knowledge gap there. And then I think there's this element of embracing uncertainty that is really at the core of culture, right? We're not operating a factory. This is sort of post-industrial knowledge economy. There's that Steve Jobs quote, I don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. I hire them so that they can tell me what to do. Creating a culture where you harness all that smartness rather than have a bunch of warm bodies doing work for you is really key. And I think that's where a lot of people fail, where they're just filling roles, telling people what to do, not allowing collaboration, not allowing ideas to surface up. It's really difficult because it's kind of like a horse that's not properly broken in. If you do want to enable that, it's not just a question of having no structure and letting people do what they want. It's about harnessing this kind of wild force, right? Creating a culture where you can set a direction, you can set a vision, you can give people the context they need. You can hold people accountable and yet you embrace uncertainty, you allow collaboration, you allow ideas to come from anywhere. And that is a really tricky balance. It requires a lot of trust. It requires values and rules of engagement and it requires rewarding the right sorts of behaviors, making people feel safe taking risks and discouraging the wrong sorts of behaviors. I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack there and I guess we won't have time for all of that. But one thing that I'd love to kind of circle back on because I haven't had anywhere near the experience you've had in the startup world, but I have come from financial services. And as an example, seeing a lot of change there in terms of going to the tech side of things, in terms of being that mm. core enabler, I'm curious of your thoughts, because in my experience, a lot of financial services companies, they've kind of come from different angles about tech and how willing they are to embrace it because they maybe haven't come from a place of having that awareness or even that appreciation of the development process and using technology. How do you see that playing out in terms of the culture? Because I guess I'm just coming from the perspective here of I've seen companies where they're being pulled kicking and screaming into the tech world, mm. but then they're not really investing enough into it in a lot of cases. How do you see that playing out? This might seem a little bit left field, but it comes down to having the right 
attitude to control and risk, right? Because I think a lot of traditional institutions, especially financial institutions, but by no means only financial institutions, they operate in a relatively predictable space. And of course, that depends. Different types of finance are more or less predictable, but everything they're doing is to try to make things more predictable, more under control, right? You're insuring, you're hedging, you're managing risk, you're auditing. And that's really important. But I feel that often when you move to a faster moving, less predictable world, attempts to control that and to manage risk within that world are nearly like, you know, you're looking north and the enemy's coming from the south, right? You are trying to control something that ultimately can't be controlled mm. because there are too many unknowns. And at the same time, you are obsessing about risks that are relatively micro. It's like, oh, what happens if an employee violates our expense policy? And in the meantime, what you're doing is slowing things down and ignoring the major risk, which is the risk of moving too slowly and becoming irrelevant. And so mm. I think that's true it's at early stage startups, but it's also true at big, venerable companies. Yes. Don't love the word disruption because I think it means too many things to too many people, too many different things. But this idea that what you're really doing is creating an organization that is adaptable, that can thrive in an environment of uncertainty and risk that optimizes mm. for success rather than for avoiding failure. That's yes. at the core of a really strong culture. And I think companies that try to say, oh, you know, we're going to be agile, but we still expect a 12 or 24 month roadmap and deliverables and massive yeah. risk audits and so on. And then suddenly you look around and wonder why you are 10 years behind the competition. It is mm. because of this attitude, this sense of trying to control what can no longer be controlled. I guess it's music to my ears in terms of my experiences as well around giving people permission to fail, which you kind of touched on earlier, but also allowing people to innovate and let go of control because I think so much of what it means to be human is about what can we control and as things change quickly and we're able to have less control over things, I find the only thing we can really control is our focus and our effort. And so leaders can play a key role in helping to prioritize what it is that they're actually focusing on and then making sure that they're delivering on that, holding them to account. And to your point before, what are the behaviors that we're going to reward? So it's not just about outcome, because mm. if we actually have the right inputs and the right behaviors and throughputs, you'll mm. therefore get the right outputs. You'll probably get the right outputs. And, you know, I think one analogy that works really well is you're playing poker, you're not playing chess. Now, I am not mm. a particularly talented poker player, but this is about understanding that the strategy for chess is you have full information, you're making thoughtful, thoughtful moves, and then you get like one big outcome, right? Whereas poker is this iterative game. You play hand after hand after hand. Many of those hands you're going to fail, and many of those hands you're going to fold. And your aim is at the end of this highly iterative game is to maximize your chance of winning. And you don't maximize your chance of winning by only betting big when you have the best hand. You need to mm -hmm. bluff, you need to take calculated risks. You need to consider your available resources and that affects your strategy. You're playing a game of probabilities. Mm -hmm. And that's a completely different way of playing, right? And that is because you are playing in a world where you have incomplete information, a lot of uncertainty in which mm -hmm. risk is not your enemy, it is your ally. If you are trying to play chess in an environment that is actually more like a game of poker, you are going to lose. And that's why I'm mm -hmm. not good at poker. I think I'm better at it in business, but in poker, I tend to not be as good at, at assessing those risks and I play too conservatively until I just run yeah. out of chips. <laughs> at the last place I was working, they were big on poker. They would play it a few nights a week. On that analogy, like you said that you think you're better in terms of the poker of business. Are there any particular stories that you really had to bluff your way through or vice versa? I don't think I do have that great story. And that's because I guess I haven't had to go all in yet. Sometimes we try some big things and they don't work that well. 
And then you mm. just need to move on, right? You need to learn how to move on and try the next thing and learn into the next iteration. Mm. I would imagine like with your career and how it's changed and evolved, at some point you would have had to go all in and say, look, I'm giving up the safety and the predictability of the monthly paycheck, maybe the yearly bonus or whatever you had, maybe even some shares. Absolutely. But when you go into the startup world, and I certainly experienced this, leaving what was somewhat of a safe, quite senior HR role and go, oh, actually, I want to start my own business. That's quite a all in poker play, if you like. I mean, does that resonate for you at least at some level? It does, but also it doesn't. And let me explain because it's not all in. All in would be if I tried this thing, if I failed, then I would die. We're, <laughs> okay. we're playing the game of life here, right? So this is yeah, another yeah. hand that we're playing, right? Mm. And mm. you need to stay in the game. But if this hand doesn't work out, we still have chips. We move on to our next hand. And yeah. so what I'm saying is that people often think they're going all in when they're not, right? That you need to take calculated risks so that you can then either win big or learn and survive to fight another day rather than just playing it conservatively and never really having the opportunity for that big win. Yeah, I love that perspective. I would challenge it somewhat playing a devil's advocate in if you feel like you're all in, even if you're not, then you are, you know, it's kind of like courage. Like if it's not courageous for you or I, if we're not actually worried about losing our hand, then it's maybe not courage. But for someone who has always had the paycheck, who's always had the whatever, if it's all in for them, to me, that is all in. Like, I mean, you're absolutely right in terms of there's always protections, whether it's family, whether it's government, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. But I think depending on how it is for the individual, it may still feel like all in. And that's why I think stops a lot of people, in my experience, actually going out there. Because I think there's so many people that have great ideas that could start their own businesses, could start startups, but actually what stops them is the fear that they're giving up more than perhaps they are giving up. Exactly. Exactly. I think we're saying the same thing. Courage is overrated, right? We don't want people to have to have enormous courage to do these things. And having the perspective that in the big scheme of things, you are not going all in. You are placing a bet on a hand. Hopefully you'll win. If you don't, yep. you don't. And of course, that's a somewhat privileged position. You need to be able to stay in the game, right? And so, mm. yeah, the more resources you have available to you, the more true that is. But, you know, I think in the West, most people who have reached the point where they might want to start their own thing do have resources to call on. And failing mm. at a startup and certainly failing at a phase of a startup, what can't be taken away from you is what you've learned. Yes. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And you just have to be comfortable yeah. with that. You know, I, I am slightly contrarian on all this because I think that this idea that the startup has to be all consuming and that you have to be mm -hmm. afraid of losing it and everything actually does cause too much conservatism, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be willing to take risks with your startup if you want to be really successful. Absolutely. Right? And I think that's yeah. one difference between that and maybe a traditional small business. But you're playing mm -hmm. poker, you know, if you're folding every hand, you're just putting out the blinds, you're folding, you're putting out the blinds and you're folding, eventually you're just going to run out of chips and you never really had a chance to succeed. You need to be willing yeah. to lose more in order to have the chance mm -hmm. to gain more. And yeah. also, you want to fail quickly. If it's going to fail, better to know sooner rather than later. So, 100%. So you want to care a lot, but you don't want to care too much is what I think. Mm. I was thinking before I started my own business, when I'm on my deathbed, whenever that is, what are the things I'm going to regret? And mm. I have very little doubt that it's not going to be, I should have spent more time in my salary job. If my business or businesses fail, then that's a learning, that's an experience that mm -hmm. I can share with others. And so reframing that in terms of not so much what am I going to lose, but what am I going to gain through this that money yeah. can't buy either way? Let's not just all measure success by how much a company raises or how much revenue they get. They are proxies, but then let's measure it on what kind of life have I led? Have I led the values? And this comes back to culture kind of mm. full circle, because for me, I looked at a lot of companies and went, 
hang on, I could join another consulting company. I could join another finance company. But actually, what if I create the culture and the kind of organization that I've always wanted, but don't really think exists? Um, yeah. Does that also resonate for you? Yeah, that absolutely resonates. When I was talking about putting my money where my mouth was, this was me saying, there's a culture I would like to be a part of that I don't believe exists. And so I'm going to be a part of creating it. Not just for its own sake, but because I think it can be highly successful. So it's both, right? Mm. And I think when you are starting a business, you have to remember it's a business. I'm not super kumbaya about this. I'm <laughs> yeah. not culture for the sake of culture, but I believe as humans, having a great culture, not just great generically, a thoughtfully designed, intentionally designed culture that aligns mm. with your values and your business goals will allow your business to be successful. So I don't think it's either or, yeah. which is always nice. Yeah, definitely. Well, Yaniv, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I think we could spend hours, but I think it's probably a good time to wrap up here and just want to thank you again for joining the Growth Ripples podcast and also for me being a guest on your podcast as well. Thank you. Thanks, Jan. It's been a pleasure. Don't forget the Startup Podcast is powered by you, our wonderful listeners. Please rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave us a written review. And don't forget to share us with your friends on social media. Sharing with others is a really important part of how we build what we are building. Catch you in the next one. Thanks, Chris. See you later.